right, but we're going to go ahead and get started with our evening. I'm really excited. Guys, this is very different from what we've done before. So I'm going to ask that you be really, um, I mean, really listen attentively and let's show all of the TOT respect we can because it was a bold move for sweet Casey to come to a group of mostly Christians. I mean, no, not all of you are Christians, but and talk about Satanism, but she is willing. So I'm going to invite you to come on up. Tell us a little bit about yourself and about Satanism. Here we go. My name is Casey Wittershins. I am a minister of Satan for the Satanic Temple and a member of the Satanic Temple Houston. Um, I have a very shiny outline put together by Sarah, and I'll follow it, I promise. <laughs> okay, so she wants me to start with my own story. Um, how did I come to Satanism? So I was raised Pentecostal in Appalachia, and my grandfather founded and was the minister at my church for 10 years. He laid the physical cornerstone of the building. And um, you know, it was, it was an interesting upbringing. Uh, West Virginia Pentecostals are maybe not like regular Pentecostals, so what is a regular Pentecostal? Um, West Virginia, for those of you who don't know, is the only state where snake handling for religious purposes is legal. And while my church were not snake handlers, I knew them, I knew snake handlers. It was kind of normal, I guess. So I grew up very much inundated with extreme fundamentalism. Um, I don't find the word cult particularly helpful, but every now and then that's where my, my mind goes when I'm talking about how I grew up. Did I grow up in a cult? Uh, kind of, kind of. I went to Jesus camp every summer. Um, there were book burnings. There were burnings of tapes and music and you know CDs as I got older. Everything was satanic. Everything I loved was satanic. Uh, heavy metal music, Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, I'm a little old for that. <laughs> I was born in the 70s, so I did experience the, the height of the satanic panic. But it seemed like every book that I loved, everything I loved, all, the, all of it, it was satanic. And you know, I'm, I'm sure it'll be no shock to anyone in here that I am a bit of a contrarian. So being told that everything I loved was satanic, I kind of thought maybe there's something to Satan. And a good friend of mine, her brother was kind of a dabbler in, in the Church of Satan. Um, he was in the military and, and that's where he discovered Anton LaVey's work. And he found a copy of the Satanic Bible and he was reading everything he could get from Anton LaVey. And of course, my little friend from the church and I, we, we begged and begged if we could read his copy of the Satanic Bible. And then we stole it from him. So we read it, and a lot of it was really interesting. And more even than the content, just the fact that we were holding the Satanic Bible in our hands was delicious. Okay? So, you know, we read everything that we could get our hands on about the occult, about Satanism, but we were also very afraid of it. Because I grew up, I think this happens to a lot of extreme fundamentalist children, I grew up not really knowing the difference between what was real and what wasn't real. I did not have a firm grasp on fantasy versus reality. I would say until I was about, oh, 13 or 14, I didn't really know the difference between real and not real. Um, and I was told that demons were inhabiting everyone and Catholics were secret Satanists. Um, oh, here's one, Baptists. Baptists weren't real Christians. 
Um, the, the big joke at our church was always that uh, we shouldn't get antsy at the end of the services because the Baptists can't possibly eat everything at Golden Corral. So it wasn't very friendly to other traditions. Um, <laughs> and, you know, as time went on, I just had trouble seeing anyone in the church as a credible source of anything. Um, not only was everything I loved satanic, but there were all of these, like, hide of the satanic panic, I guess, Christian urban legends. Like, satanic ritual abuse was a super big deal. They're going to kidnap the blonde hair and blue-eyed children and sacrifice them to Satan or force them to become breeders to, you know, breed infants to sacrifice to Satan. Um, that's the kind of stories that I grew up on. So as ridiculous as it became, like, I, it just lost credibility. Um, Christianity did not appeal to me. I mean, by the time I was 12, you know, I was, I was afraid of it. Um, I was sure that when the rapture came that uh, I would be left behind. I had a kit under my bed. Um, all the little kids at the church, we all had kits under our beds for when the rapture came. So that was, that was my upbringing. Um, you know, I think there's only a few ways you can really go from there. And, and Satanist is, is not necessarily the worst of them, I guess, I would say. So as I got older, I, you know, stepped away from the church. My mother actually left the church, and it was a big deal since her grandfather, or her father, my grandfather, founded it. She formally left the church because of how harmful it was to my brother and me. So, you know, I, I, I definitely have respect to her for, for standing up to that. She took us to a Methodist church, and I was terrified of the Methodist church because growing up, we'd been told that you can't be lukewarm because God will vomit you from his mouth. And nobody at the Methodist church was rolling around on the floor or being slain in the spirit or, you know, their eyes rolling back in their head and screaming in tongues. Um, so I thought they were lukewarm, and, and that was really scary to me. I wondered if they were perhaps secret Satanists. So... I got older, and I decided I was an atheist. I was, I was done with all of it. I never wanted anything to do with religion again. Um, you know, in my 20s, I looked at some, like, secular humanist groups. Uh, they were snooze. They do great work. They're really boring. Um, I went to some atheist groups. I got involved in anarchist activism. And, you know, I had a great time with a lot of that. But atheist groups always left me cold. Um, I found that there was not a lot of community. Uh, I found that it was not very fulfilling. Um, it just didn't do much for me. I think that you can only go so far with what you don't believe in. And so enter Satanism. Uh, I first became aware of the Satanic Temple in, I'm trying to think which year it would have been, 2015, 2016, maybe slightly ahead of that. They had a Kickstarter and they were going to have a Baphomet statue uh, directly in response to a monument of the Ten Commandments that was going to be put on public grounds in Oklahoma City. And they said, okay, great, you know, it's a free speech zone, like we can put our monument there too. So they kickstarted it and it was successful. And all of a sudden, the free speech zone went away. So, and then they tried again in Arkansas and the litigation is still ongoing. So that's how I discovered the Satanic Temple. Um, I took a while to join. I'm not someone really to join something immediately. I kind of watched them, you know, got to know a few people in it. And then around 2019, I decided, okay, I've wanted to join for this long. You know, it's been like four years or so. 
So I decided to, to formally join, and here I am. <laughs> um, so what do Satanists believe? Uh, okay, so I'm going to read the mission statement for the Satanic Temple, and then I'll read the seven, funda the seven fundamental tenets of TST. The mission of the Satanic Temple is to encourage benevolence and empathy, reject tyrannical authority, advocate practical common sense, oppose injustice, and undertake noble pursuits. There are seven fundamental tenets. One, one should strive to act with compassion and empathy toward all creatures in accordance with reason. Two, the struggle for justice is an ongoing and necessary pursuit that should prevail over laws and institutions. Three, one's body is inviolable, subject to one's own will alone. Four, the freedoms of others should be respected, including the freedom to offend. To willfully and unjustly encroach upon the freedoms of another is to forgo one's own. Five, beliefs should conform to one's best scientific understanding of the world. One should take care never to distort scientific facts to fit one's beliefs. <clears throat> Six, people are fallible. If one makes a mistake, one should do one's best to rectify it and resolve any harm that it might, that might have been caused. Seven, every tenet is a guiding principle designed to inspire nobility in action and thought. The spirit of compassion, wisdom, and justice should always prevail over the written and spoken word. So that sort of forms the basis of the Satanic Temple's beliefs. Now, I'm not a spokesperson for the Satanic Temple. Um, I can speak as to what many modern Satanists believe, as to what I believe as a Satanist, as to what many people in the Satanic Temple believe, but again, I'm not a spokesperson for the organization as a whole, okay? So modern Satanism, um, I guess the thing that people are really surprised to find out is that you're hard-pressed to find a modern Satanist who actually believes in Satan or who holds any supernatural beliefs at all. So, of course, the immediate question is, well, then why the hell do you call yourself a Satanist? Um, so for me and for many modern Satanists, um, we see Satan as an archetype, a very valuable archetype, who represents the eternal outsider, the person who struggles against the tyrant, um, the person who rages against arbitrary authority, even in the face of overwhelming odds, even when they know that they will lose. We are always on the side of the oppressed. Um, I identify very strongly with that particular archetype. Um, There's some other archetypes that it sort of enfolds, the trickster. Um, you could also say, you know, the, the, the one who makes deals, um, mischief maker. Um, there are a lot of like archetypes that sort of embodies like pan, um, old scratch, the devil, uh, Lucifer, Satan. I mean, you can, you can go on and on. But under that umbrella, that's, that's what we typically revere and have a lot of genuine affection for that archetype. Um, but no, we, we tend to not believe in anything supernatural. Um, you know, tenet five, as I stated, uh, our beliefs should conform to our best understanding of science. And uh, there's not been anything proven, uh, at least to my satisfaction, via science that is supernatural in any way. Um, so the next point on here, um, rituals. So do we do satanic rituals? Yeah, a lot of us do. Some don't. It's not mandatory. There's very little 
that's mandatory. I'm trying to think of anything mandatory about modern Satanism. Um, to call yourself a member of the Satanic Temple, you have to identify with the seven tenets. But as far as things that are mandatory, there's not much. Um, so rituals. Why do we perform rituals if we don't believe in magic, if we don't believe that we can cast spells on you or anything like that? Uh, for a lot of people, it's psychodrama. Um, I mean, if you look at therapy, uh, therapy is full of rituals. Um, talking things out, symbolism, reframing your thoughts about different things, taking power of your own situation, you know, via the force of your own mind. So for a lot of people, that's what ritual is. Some people, it gives shape to their lives. It gives shape to their day. Some people just enjoy it. Some people like the sensory experience. They like incense. They like music. You know, whatever it is that they choose to do as part of their ritual, it's because they like it. Um, some people, it's performance art. Um, some people just enjoy, like, the theater of it. Uh, some people like getting dressed up, wearing the clothes that they never get to wear any other time. Um, it can be play. It can be dead serious. Uh, ritual is very much whatever the practitioner wants it to be. Um, it can be very dark, or it can be, like, full of flowers and light and playful. I've participated in all sorts of rituals. Um, and they've just run a spectrum. So why do we do rituals? Because we want to. Symbolism. This is an area where I'm not an expert. You might find a lot of Satanists are very reluctant to speak when they don't have you know, ways to cite their sources. I'm, I'm one of those. Um, pentagram, 666, Baphomet, etc. So I can talk about Baphomet a bit. Um, Baphomet is a corruption of the word Muhammad. Uh, Baphomet was an accusation against the Knights Templar. Uh, they were accused of worshiping a demon, and uh, you know it was, it was over finances. They didn't want to pay the Knights Templar, so they were trying to stiff them on their bill, essentially. So they accused them of worshiping the devil, and the devil happened to be Muhammad, except linguistic shifts happen, and it became Baphomet. So. You know, people run with that imagery. Uh, Eliphas Levi was the one who kind of drew the picture of Baphomet and broke down what different things meant. Um, no, we don't believe that Baphomet is an actual being. It is representational. Um, Baphomet represents the reconciliation of opposites. So you have the animal head, the man body, so the beast world, the man world. You have um, a pentagram that's upside up. You have one that's inverted, you know, one on the forehead, one behind him. You have hooves and you have wings. So you have the earth, you have the sky. Um, you have usually, usually it's women's breasts, nude. Um, though on the TST version, we don't have the breasts because we figured that that would get us banned from public property. Um, you also have a phallic representation. Um, let's see what else you have. So you have the male, you have the female. Um, you have the hands up, you have the hands down, as above, so below, which is, you know, very standard in occult literature. Um, you have a moon above, you have a moon below, you have, like, the sky, you have the sea. Um, so it's the reconciliation of opposites. And what that means to me, you know, as far as Satanism goes, is I find that Satanism is full of tension constantly. There's always the tension between, you know, 
do I feel compassion for someone or do I feel wrath for someone? Do I believe in getting revenge or do I believe in forgiveness? Um, do I want to stand out or do I want to blend in? Um, Satanism is very much a religion of like rec rec reconciling like these tensions that we have within us. Um, you know, the, the opposites that we have in our own minds that, we, that cause us cognitive dissonance, trying to live with those, trying to reconcile and figure out, you know, the world to us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. She wants me to hit blasphemy. So <laughs> blasphemy is probably the most controversial thing that we engage in. Why do we engage in blasphemy? There are three kinds of blasphemy, at least as I see it. There is reactive blasphemy, which is kind of the FU response, okay? Then there's transcendent blasphemy, which is no longer about the audience. It doesn't even need to have an audience. It's the feeling that I have when I know that I've overcome my past and it doesn't affect me anymore, and I'm not afraid of hellfire or judgment or any of those things. So that would be transcendent blasphemy to me. And then there's natural blasphemy. It's the blasphemy that I am as existing as a person. I'm queer. I am neurodivergent. I am a Satanist. My being, my existence is blasphemy. So I think blasphemy is perhaps a little more complicated than simply throwing the horns and hailing Satan. Thank you for, I did make her end before she was done with the outline that she went through exactly as I asked her to, so thank you, because not everyone has always done that. Um, so thank you for that, and thank you guys for listening. You can ask her more questions when she's up on the panel, but I'm going to invite Evan. Where are you? Come on up, and uh, counterpoints? I don't know. Okay, well, first let me say, if, if anyone needs chairs, there are chairs against the wall. Yeah, or you can sit on the front row. Um, but thank you all to, for coming out tonight. Thank you to Casey again for coming out. As Sarah said, it's not necessarily fun to come to an audience, uh, uh, a possibly hostile audience, although I think we're all pretty nice. Uh-oh, I killed, I, I killed, okay, we'll, we'll live with that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm Evan McClanahan. I'm, I'm the pastor of this church. We're here every Sunday at 11 o'clock in the building over there. Um, I want to make three things very clear tonight. Uh, the first is that, in my view, I don't think uppercase S Satanists and lowercase s Satanists are really as far apart as you might think. Uh, number two, Satanism will always be appealing because it exalts the self. And then number three, Christianity offers a far better world than Satanism of any variety. When we thought about this series, it was a two-part series where we, uh, we wanted to look at Satanism uh, and kind of conspiracy theories as a way of sort of looking at, you know, sort of who really runs the world. You know, are Satanists actually like running Hollywood and the financial system? Um, you know, is Satan even the, the ruler of this world? Or is actually the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ sufficient in sort of put, putting Satan to bed and now, you know, sort of Christ is king? So I think we'll talk about that in the panel. Um, or is all of this sort of newfound concern about Satanism and these conspiracy theories really just some kind of rebrand of the satanic panic from the 80s into something now like, you know, QAnon, for example? So let's dig in. 
Um, first, there's not as much daylight between uppercase S Satanists, and that's kind of hard to say, uh, and lowercase S Satanists as you might like to think. Uh, you see, I will give the uppercase S Satanists at least, you know, credit for having the courage to admit what they actually are, which is Satanists. Uh, the truth is, uh, you know, if asked without reference to the Satanic Temple, the tenets that you just heard, a lot of Americans would probably agree with those as good things. They could sort of fall into Satanism if they weren't paying attention. Um, likewise, a lot of atheists, you know, they don't want to be labeled as atheists. Uh, they don't want the stigma of that, but actually, they actually, most people sort of live as atheists. To put it another way, most people live a, dare I say it, satanic lifestyle, uh, even if they would recoil at the label of being a Satanist. Most people, while they might have spent hundreds of hours becoming experts on the Kardashians, uh, who's basically a little coven, by the way, um, or they might know everything about their favorite sport or athlete, they have not bothered to invest the time in learning the difference between following Jesus Christ as their Lord and falling into the traps of the world. So if you have not invested such time in that, guess which camp you're just going to default into? So in other words, if you are investing and in investing yourself heavily into the idols of this world, uh, you are not on Team Jesus. Sorry. Uh, but consider the first tenet of the Satanic Temple. We heard all seven of them already. One should strive to act with compassion and empathy toward all creatures in accordance with reason. You know, as a principle, that's pretty hard to argue with. Uh, what about the second? The struggle for justice is an ongoing and necessary pursuit that should prevail over laws and institutions. Actually, you hear that every day. That is articulated all the time by like political and legal activists, you know, in, you know, maybe not in their spiritual sphere, but certainly in other spheres. So really, the posture of the uppercase S Satanist is really not as out there as you might think. In fact, I would argue that many Americans fall into the camp of Satanism, at least lowercase s, Satanism. For example, most Americans value their personal sovereignty over God's monarchical rule. Sorry, y'all, God is king, okay? Most Americans would never say, for example, because they'd just be too embarrassed, that you know any religion or any culture is better than another. Uh, and like I said, many Americans would probably agree with a lot of the positive values of the satanic temple, compassion, justice, kindness. That is why the dividing line between Satanism and Christianity will need to be made very clear tonight. Of course, I think a major difficulty for all Satanists of any stripe, be they Luciferians or atheistic Satanists, is that they cannot ground their values in an appropriate authority. We're a worthy source of authority. As either atheists or Luciferians, they either have no sufficient being uh, to ground their morality, or for our Luciferian friends out there, they have chosen the worst possible example. Of course, I'm speaking as a Christian that I think Lucifer is a pretty bad moral example, but Luciferians would disagree. Now, I know that Satanists might argue that the God of the Bible is actually the bad guy, right? Uh, you know, modern Christianity is just sort of a, a romanticized 
retelling uh, of God's story that has saved God from our judgment. English philosopher Stephen Law, for example, has spoken about an evil God, and that sort of does away with the problem of evil, because actually, as long as you know God is good, then you have to deal with the problem of evil. But if God is evil, hey, that solves the problem. It, the evil is the natural course of things in God's world. It's kind of like when people make the argument for the empire in Star Wars. I don't know if you've ever seen that, right? Like, actually, the Empire is the good guys. They're the ones actually keeping order and keeping the spaceships running on time. It's the rebellion that comes in and, like, screws everything up. Hail Palpatine! I thought more of y'all would laugh at that. I'm sorry. But really, as I read the Satanic Bible uh, and hear, you know, average arguments for uh, from atheism, I don't actually hear a whole lot of difference. Both uh, would argue, for example, for the non-existence of God or his callousness. Both would assume the right of man to live life on his own terms. And then three, both would assume that they are in a position to judge God. To be honest, that kind of sounds like a lot of Americans that I know. So, to the village atheist, content with your lack of belief, or to the materialist, who lives life on their own terms, or to the narcissist who thinks the world revolves around you, I say, visit the satanic temple. You don't have to not have a church home anymore. You can thank me later, Casey. You might have, you should really probably have about a hundred million members at the satanic temple. If I may be so bold, if you are not intentionally following Christ, you are already living as a satanist. Second, what Satanism really seems to be about is the glorification of the self, the exaltation of man as a god, and a refusal to place oneself at the glory and mercy of God. Now, here are a few quotes from Anton LaVey's Satanic Bible. I'm not placing these on Casey. She may own these quotes. She may very well repudiate them. But these are from the Satanic Bible. His very first Satanic statement is, Satan represents indulgence instead of abstinence. That sounds pretty familiar these days, actually. Um, Later he writes, The Satanist feels, why not really be honest if you're going to create a god in your image? Why not create that god as yourself? Every man is a god if he chooses to recognize himself as one. He writes, Blessed are the strong, for they shall possess the earth. Cursed are the weak, for they shall inherit the yoke. Uh, He says, blessed are the iron-handed, for the unfit shall flee before them. Cursed are the poor in spirit, for they shall be spat upon. Obviously, this is a retelling of the, you know, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. Or check out the rituals, for example, established to summon one for a lustful purpose or to cause the destruction of an enemy. Over and over again, LeVay seems to be pretty clear that his version of Satanism, at least, is about uh, taking what is yours. And what is yours seems to be whatever you can take. The belief that one can and should put him or herself at the center of his or her world, I think, is best seen in the tenet. One's body is inviolable, subject to one's will alone. Of course, that's a very different understanding from what Christians believe 
about our very bodies, right? St. Paul writes, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Christians do not celebrate the self or live for themselves. Rather, they live for others. Satanism clearly rejects that, at least in the Satanic Bible, as weakness. LeVay wants man to be freed from the constraints of others, to pursue his own interests without any interference. Man has the right to do that, and indeed, he really has the duty to himself to do that. In this sense, I would say Satanism is really nothing new. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. A man there in the garden believed that he had the right to question God's word and his person. So none of this is anything new. Now, Christianity has given rise to the rights of the individual conscience. Listen to our podcast series and the Reformers about that. Uh, the value of the human body, the unique image-bearing properties of every human person from the moment of conception until their natural death. And yet Christians do not assert an absolute autonomy from God, much less a sovereignty over God. But the Satanist does, and quite proudly so. And while that philosophy initially might sound empowering, I mean, hey guys, I loved Atlas Shrugged when I was 22, okay? It ultimately leads to chaos, maybe not to a person per se, but as a social philosophy, it's disastrous. If everybody lived like the most satanic song of all time, Frank Sinatra's My Way said, right? We would be a society by accident at best uh, and a fractured, fighting, hateful mix at worst. I would argue if we really believe the tenets of uppercase S, lowercase S Satanism, we actually would barely be a civil society at all. And, and to be clear, I'm not blaming uppercase S Satanists per se. Okay, I'm just saying that a lowercase s satanic worldview creates a culture in which we all live for ourselves, glorifying the self at the expense of others. Now, I know that the Satanists would not claim to infringe the rights on others. In fact, that's one of their tenets. One of the tenets is the freedoms of others should be respected. Um, indeed, I would argue that, Chris, that Satanists do have the right, for example, in America to try to establish satanic you know, uh, uh, clubs after school. Uh, I tend to think those things should be handled through a democratic process. You know, maybe put it up to a vote. Maybe the school board votes on whether we're going to allow those clubs. Um, anyone interested in running for school board, by the way? Um, further, I would agree that there is a significant degree, I'm kind of a libertarian, uh, of autonomy that human beings enjoy. So I don't want to curtail the political rights of Satanists. Rather, it is their moral stances that I wish to exercise. Exercise with an O, not an E. Devastating circular selfishness, I would argue, is the end result of the moral elevation of the self above God. I'm shut down. What? Um, okay. Uh, let me read one quote. This is about Ayn Rand's objectivism, Atlas Shrugged. Uh, which, which a lot of Satanists enjoy. It's not necessarily the same thing, but let me read this quote. The truth about mere man is that he is not mere man. He is made by his creator and by nature to be a person in relation. He is an individual, yes, 
But his individuality, his personality, his true self-interest can only be realized in relationship to another. Thus, he invariably finds the highest fulfillment of his personhood in love, in friendship, and in the service to and sacrifice for others. Third, and i got to go fast because I'm running out of time, Christianity offers a far better world than Satanism of any variety. Now, I know there are difficult passages in the Bible where it looks like God is commanding warfare, and there are lots of historical examples like the Salem Witch Trials, the Inquisition, where Christians really seem to screw things up. Uh, And yet, Christianity, properly understood, is basically about what God has done for others and therefore what we ought to do for others. Out of his love for his people, he revealed himself in word and deed, Uh, He sacrificed for us, and he promised us joy now and everlasting life. Paul writes in Romans 5, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is why Christianity, by and large, uh, has brought with it the fruits of a fair and just and good society one in which women were elevated, slaves were freed, children were cherished and rescued, marriages were strengthened, and fairness and honor in the marketplace and the courts became far more common. Christianity creates a culture in which prosperity and the expectation of legal equity and equality were basic expectations. Christians cannot help but to do for others what God has done for them. Christians are builders. They build schools. They build communities. Uh, they, they have historically lots of children. They are a champion for the unborn and for the infirm. Um, and I would argue even the final tenet, for example, that speaks of, of Satanism, that argues for compassion, wisdom, and justice. What really are those things without God? Majority rule? Personal opinions? Now, lest you think that you are safely distanced from Satanism, I would argue that Jesus did not see it that way. In Matthew 12, after an exorcism that leads his religious opponents to compare Jesus to Beelzebul, uh, he says this, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. And a few verses later, he says, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Those are Jesus' words, not mine. So it is not just uppercase S Satanists whose souls that we should be concerned about. It is all of those who are without Christ, but perhaps believe that they are. Uh, It is those who call themselves Christians but follow the demands of the flesh. Uh, It is those who act as their own God, deciding what is good or bad or right and wrong by their own arbitrary standards. It is those who dare to believe that they do not need Christ as Lord but they are their own Lord, obedient only to their own conscience. Thank you. So if you're wondering if you're a Satanist with a lowercase s, come and talk to us afterwards. We have really good news for you. Um, but we're going to take a like a seven, eight minute break so you can get another beer. Huh? 70, 7 or 8, 7 or 8 minute, 8 minutes, okay, but listen, then come back, we have a lot of good questions for our panel, which is going to include Casey, so don't go anywhere, get some beer, use the restroom, come back.
Okay, welcome back. Okay, it looks like all of you stayed. I'm excited about that. Once again, I would like to offer you these prime seats in the front. We have what, like 10, nine, 10 seats in the front? I mean, like, yeah, it's like a Baptist. Every time I make a joke, it's like a Baptist church. People are like, that's a Presbyterian thing. It's just a church thing. Okay, a quick reminder. If you didn't hear the spiel when you came in, we do have a red cup, blue cup system. You know where I'm going with this. Okay. Uh, if you are unmatched and you want to be matched, uh, if you're single and you're ready to mingle, if you didn't do it tonight, when you come back next time, grab a blue cup, get the sticker. I didn't put a sticker on this time, but, um, and talk to somebody else that has a blue cup. Don't be shy. You could be like, you ready for it? Noah and Beth, who met here. Aren't they cute? It's deeply red. Oh my gosh. And we're gonna have, we're gonna have our first TOT baby. Oh, anyway, so that could be you. I mean, you don't have to have a baby just if you get a blue cup, but anyway. But thank you guys again for coming. And I just want to remind you again, we have a lot, sorry, we have a lot of different perspectives tonight. Obviously, Satanism and Christianity, but also within Christianity, our leadership team believes different things about some of the secondary aspects of Christianity. We all agree that we want you to know Jesus, okay? And so if you hear things tonight, I know I already said this, but not everybody was here. If you hear things tonight and you think, man, I really like the way Beth puts it, or I'm curious about Evan's church, or even some of the leadership team that you mix and mingle with that aren't up here, we would love to have you come to our churches, to our Bible studies, to our conversation groups. I run a group for atheists if you want to come check that out. So anyway, come and talk to us afterwards, and I think that's all the spiel. Before we get to the questions you sent in, which are really good, I'm going to ask, first of all, for y'all to introduce yourselves, and then I'm going to let Evan and uh, Casey just for a minute spar or kind of react to each other. But tell us your name, if you are a Satanist with a capital S or a lowercase s or Team Jesus. But just give us the spiel about who you are, and then we'll, we'll get into it. You're going to have to share. Yeah. Uh, my name is Beth White, and so I do, uh, do not consider myself a Satanist. Um, I teach theology and ethics at Houston Christian High School um, to seniors there, and so that's what I do. My name is Paul Sloan. I teach uh, New Testament, Bible, theology type stuff at Houston Christian University. It used to be called HBU, Houston Baptist. I'm also the teaching pastor at uh, the church that's now called Baptist Temple. It'll also change its name soon, but that's not because of it's not because of me. I promise it has nothing to do with me. Um, and yeah, I'm a Christian. And if you want a flyer with Paul's face on it, just go to the back afterwards, and maybe he'll sign it for you. Yeah, I did not approve the. <laughs> yep. I'm so excited about those flyers. I'm Casey Wittershins, Minister of Satan, and I am on Team Lucifer. Okay. Well, I'm the pastor of this church here, so I think you know that I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm Evan. Um, what, is the, what is the new name of the Baptist Temple? Maybe we should vote on it tonight. I mean, why, why the suspense, Paul? Why, why all the coy dis- disguises? We don't know. Oh, okay. How about, how about Morning Star Baptist Church? For those of you who know, you know. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's just take, I don't know, three, four, five minutes to see how it goes. Did either of you hear the other ones? I saw you perk up when he said the Kardashians are a coven. You were like, what? Um, 
But just if you heard the other one say something you want to remark on or push back on, I'll give you guys a few minutes to, to do that and then we'll, we'll carry on. So, <laughs> so many so. things. Pastor Evan, um, I do want to mention that it really, oh, I guess I can't get too sweary. Um, it chaps my ass when <laughs> people identify other people as a certain religion or group and they're not. Like calling them a coven, like let them self-identify that way. Um, I don't know, it just seems to be kind of a, a very ugly Christian tendency to identify other people as things. Like I was called a Satanist when I was 11. So, you know, that stuff, kind of, it, it does harm. Okay, so this is about me. You know, the thing about the Kardashians, it wasn't even in my very scripted script, so oh. I, I shouldn't have even said that, I guess. Don't stray from the script. But, but, but actually, uh, they're definitely little case as Satanists. They, they live completely worldly lives. I think that's on full display for everyone to see. And they do parade around. I mean, any, anybody see Travis Barker and the, what, what's her name? Was it Chloe? Who'd, you, who'd he marry? Chloe, Courtney. How do you know so much okay. about the Did anyone? <laughs> no, he knows no, wait, more no. about them than I do. Did, did, did anyone see their wedding? Anyone see what their... Does anyone listen to what they have to say? I don't want to be too conspiratorial, but I mean, I don't know. He was wearing like a... He, his robe looked almost exactly like yours. So I think you should recruit. We don't proselytize or recruit ever. She told us that when we met the first time. That is true. Especially children. Also, identifying other people as Satanists and not letting themselves identify, I do find that offensive as well. Would you say it's wrong to, to make judgments? Because I would say, what I, what I would argue is that based on my Christian worldview, based on Christian theology, that I'm simply making, making prudent judgments about how, uh, about how people live and about the choices that they make. Would you say that that would be wrong? I think that you can word things differently. Um, you know, I guess maybe we're having a semantic argument here. Um, I do know that there is harm in labeling people Satanists who are not Satanists. There's demonstrable harm. People have gone to jail, um, especially during the Satanic Panic. The McMartin preschool case was an example of people. It was the, um, I think it's the longest and most expensive running trial ever, criminal trial in the United States, and people were put away for years. So what I'm trying to do is not label any one person a Satanist per se except maybe the Kardashians. Um, but I'm, I kid. Um, but what I'm trying to say is that on, from the Christian point of view, what Christ himself makes clear is that to, to follow Christ is to recognize Christ as Lord. And if you're not gathering with him, that you are scattering. You are basically on team Jesus or you're on the other team. And Christians do have a pretty binary understanding of that. So I don't think I'm actually labeling anybody anything. I think that they are labeling themselves with their refusal to follow Christ. And if that's what they choose, it's a free country. Uh, Casey, somebody actually texted about this and said, why is it offensive to label someone a Satanist who does not self-identify as such, th as such if Satanism isn't a bad thing? Um, because we live in a world where they kill Satanists. Hmm. Or they let's put eat them the mic jail. just a little more. Yeah. Or they put them in jail. Um, so the Satanic Temple's headquarters is in Salem, Massachusetts. And in June, it was subject to an arson attack while people were indoors. And when questioned, the person who did it said, yes, this is a hate crime. We should kill the Satanists. Um, it's not an isolated incident. Uh, one of our founders, Lucian Greaves, um, 
I don't want to say he lives life on the run necessarily, but uh, he has had to relocate at the drop of a hat. Um, there have been other members of the Satanic Temple who have found people in their driveways in the middle of the night. Um, when they've checked the reels for their security footage, they've had people show up at their homes. Um, you know, identifying as a Satanist, it, it, I don't want to be disingenuous and say that I don't know that it's going to cause controversy, but there are some lines that should not be crossed. Um, and I do think that it can put people in danger. I self-identify as a Satanist. I call myself a Satanist. I take on some danger there, and I do that willingly. But people who don't self-identify as Satanists, they aren't doing that. Yeah, that's fair. I am going to move us along. I know I said I'd give you guys time to spar, but we've, we only have 45 minutes left, and y'all have like 100 questions. Okay. Uh, I've asked Paul if he would, as, as one of our residential teachers here tonight, uh, if he would just give us a whistle-stop tour. That's an N.T. Wright reference. That's why I keep using that, since you love him. A whistle-stop tour through the Bible of just Satan. Is the serpent in the garden Satan? Is the devil Satan? Beelzebub, Lucifer, Morningstar, Dragon. Like, is this all the same dude? Is Does he have a legion? Like, give us the, the quick Reader's Digest version for those of us that are like, who even is he? Great. So the uh, some terminolog terminological uh uh, stuff to begin with. The word, I mean, a lot of you know this, um, the word in Hebrew um, is shatan, which means it's, it's, it's normal, neutral term, just means accuser or adversary or something like that. So if you were a prosecutor in a court, and you might be called a shatan, a Satan. Um, and so this is a neutral term to refer to someone who has an adversarial or accusatorial role. So um, it looks like, uh, according to the Hebrew, the, the Old Testament and New Testament, the Creator God um, is not the only um, God who exists. The Creator is the only Creator exi who exists, right? Yahweh is the only Creator. He's the only uncreated being. All other, if anything else exists, it is something that has been created. But the Bible is not shy about referring to other beings as gods. So the Bible does not deny the existence of other uh, spiritual beings called gods. It denies their worthiness of worship. Uh, because they are created beings. So I'll say that last part again. The Bible uh, does not deny the existence of other gods or spiritual beings. It denies the uh, worthiness of their worship. Um, so, for example, uh, in, in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul calls, looks like Satan, actually calls Satan a god. He calls him the god of this age or the god of this world. Um, the point being there that other spiritual beings exist and they are sometimes referred to as gods, but what is axiomatic about these beings outside of Yahweh is that they are created beings, beings who are not worthy of worship and beings who've been given some sort of uh, governing uh, control over a, a given aspect of creation. So you'll see this in a text like Psalm 82 or um, uh, Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 32, lots, lots of other texts. But the point here is, is that um, it's assumed in the, in, the, in the Old Testament and New Testament that other spiritual beings exist. One of the beings is eventually gets named as Satan. And the question is, well, once in the, New, in the New Testament, once he gets identified as this spiritual being who is a uh, personal figure, who's adversarial, uh, who, who, who works against God's will and consequently work, works against God's creation... Um, that happens in the book of Revelation. It's a, it's a being called, uh, who's, he's, he's named as Satan and then is also referred to as the deceiver and as the, the great accuser and the accuser of angels and humans. Um, in Second uh, Corinthians 4, the, 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 the spiritual being who blinds, uh, blinds people is an adversarial figure 
whom Paul calls the God of this age. And then eventually he refers to this being, looks like it's Satan. The question is, is, is this person the same being as, as, as is referred to in Genesis 3 with the serpent? Genesis 3 doesn't itself refer to the serpent as a spiritual being or as Satan. Uh, but it looks like that's the way it was read by most Jews who read that text in, in what we call Second Temple Judaism. So Second Temple Judaism is just a time period that refers to Jewish texts composed roughly between the year um, 500, and 100, 500 BC and 100 AD. And it looks like this group of Jews um, unanimously interpreted this figure in Genesis 3 and consequently this nefarious figure throughout the Old Testament as this uh, adversarial opponent who they eventually named um, lots of things. He never, he never gets one name throughout the Old Testament or Second Temple text or New Testament. Sometimes he's called Beelzebul or Beelzebub. Sometimes he's called um, Azazel. Sometimes he's called uh, Mastema. Sometimes he's called Satan. But the point is, 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 is assumed that there are a group of beings, spiritual beings who are not human, who are created, and who rebelled against the divine will, and who then used that rebellion uh, or, or within that re- rebelled state, uh, they attempt to confuse, deceive, and lead astray the people of God in various uh, in various ways. And eventually it's assumed that this one leader of these beings, a guy named Satan, <laughs> takes control of these spiritual beings and then leads astray the created world. Um, that's the, 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 the narrative that's assumed in a text like Luke 4, where Satan comes to Jesus and says, he shows him all the kingdoms of the world and says, these have all been handed over to me, and I do X, Y, Z with him. That's part of why Evan was saying that if you're not on Team Jesus, what he means by is like not under the God of Israel, the Creator God, you're indirectly under the control of Satan, not because Satan, because you've opted into Satanism or anything like that, but simply because um, the in the same way that if you, if you moved to a war-torn territory, you would just consequently be under the, di- di- the dictatorship of hmm. that leader. I'm going to stop you there just for, thank you. That was whistle stop. Thank you. Um, somebody asked, uh, just to piggyback on that, what does, uh, what does Satan take its form as? Is it a physical body form or based on actions and behaviors? Like, can I just call one of y'all Satan if you're mean to me? Anyone can answer. It doesn't have to just be Paul. We're getting to the portion now where everybody answers. What's up? We're all theologians. Yeah. Oh, the question is, sorry, what does Satan take its form as? Is it a physical body form or based on actions, behaviors? I mean, I think based on what Paul was just saying, as well as what I understand, there is like Satan by definition is a spiritual being. Um, But scripture gives us reason to believe that that spiritual being can um, overtake and indwell physical beings as well. Um, how or when that happens, I don't necessarily want to. Yeah, we may not get into all of that. We're not going to talk about exorcisms tonight, but, um, I'm going to popcorn these questions fast. So if I feel like I get a good answer, we're moving along. That was great. Okay. Uh, this one's for Casey, but anyone else can, if you don't like something she says, feel free to piggyback. But Casey, who do you say Christ is? Jesus Christ. I usually don't. Um, I mean, I think that there's some historical dispute as to the existence of one particular being who fits all of those criteria. Um, I don't really care to speculate, necessarily. 
Okay. I thought for sure you were going to say he was a good teacher, but he was just a guy. But yeah, okay. Um, next question says, does it actually benefit the Christian life to try and understand Satan as a specific being? And to really do so, wouldn't we just have to encounter him for ourselves? I don't want to do that. I'd like to. I'd like to hear Paul come back on that because I, I do. Th- I would. I, would, I think it's certainly fair to say that in the Bible there are these kind of different manifestations and names and sort of appearances that are like all supposed to be Satan. Uh, so what was the question again, though? He's so, reading it. Read uh, it in the mic. Does it actually benefit the Christian life to try and understand Satan as a specific being? And to really do so, wouldn't we just have to encounter him for ourselves? Dun, I don't dun, want to dun. do that. Can I, can, I, can I just say that, like, as he said, you know, the, the, the Hebrew word does just mean adversary. And that's why I, I'm, 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 I am kind of throwing this broad blanket on those who are not sort of on Team Jesus as being, you know, in, I'm, I'm using that in the Hebrew sense of the word, satanic. Uh, they are adversarial to God. They are adversarial to Christ. And so I, I would say that it's not important at all to, to focus on this one particular being. Because uh, there is a demonic realm that includes many beings, I think this idea of focusing on this one particular being uh, is, is is probably misguided, and maybe even a trick of Satan, you know, to get us hyper focused in one direction. I think that our focus as as Christians, I can only speak for Christians, ought to be not being adversaries to God, but seeking the will of God, the law of God, to be obedient to God, and not to be adversarial in any way, and therefore not to be, in the strict Hebrew understanding of that word, satanic. All right, moving. Oh, yeah, no, uh, or sorry, no, yeah, everything, everything yeah. I'm great with everything you said. I, I would just add that, I mean, eventually, second, I mean, Jewish, New Testament, and eventually maybe in, in, in even in the Old Testament, you, you do get an, uh, an acknowledgement that there is a being who is the leader of these bad guys, right? I mean, so a leader, a leader of the demons, whatever, whatever he's called, sometimes he's called Satan, sometimes he's called Mastema, sometimes he's called Beelzebub. The point is, is that the New Testament and Second Temple Jewish texts um, would affirm that there is a leader of these uh, divine beings who have rebelled against God. And so there are divine beings who have rebelled against God, and there is a, a leader of them. Um, I, I would say it's, it's, important, the, it's important to identify them as such to the degree that it helps us also understand um, aspects of Christ's own work. Uh, oftentimes it's easy and wrong to reduce Christ's work either to his earthly ministry or to his death on the cross when the New Testament is quite uh, emphatic about um, cap- capitalizing is probably the best word, but uh, emphasizing emphasizing that Christ's work <clears throat> upon his enthronement uh, accomplishes something so that Christ upon his enthronement at the right hand of the Father uh, subjugates these powers to himself. Uh, and so that, uh, the New Testament announces, the, the, in fact, it's actually part of the reason why the apostles then uh, go on the mission to the nations. Because the assumption is that the other nations are ruled by these other beings. And so once Christ is enthroned and subjugates these other powers to himself, that becomes the basis for the nations hearing the message that Christ has subjugated the powers that formerly ruled you. And so the, the, the gospel that the nations are hearing is the message that Christ is now the enthroned ruler of everybody. Amen. So, yeah. 
All right, next question says, uh, and this is, a lot of these questions are for Casey. So if you get a question, you're like, I'm done answering questions. We can spread it out over the panel, but, um, so just, you know, cry uncle if you need to. But it says, if bodily autonomy is subject only to the individual's will, what would Satanism have to say about minors who, quote, desire relationships with adults over 18 and vice versa? Do you want me to say it again? It was kind of long. No. Okay. Okay, so there's no tenant that's meant to be taken in isolation. According to our best scientific understanding, tenant five, minors' brains develop much more slowly, especially the decision-making components of their brains. Okay. Also, the first tenant has to do with compassion within reason. Okay. Um, Any time that you try to take any of the tenants away from the other ones, you run into those kinds of quandaries. So I think that it needs to be considered with all seven tenants. And if you consider all seven tenants, then there's clearly no acceptable relationship along those lines. Okay. Any pushback? I mean, I think that was a pretty good answer. Okay. Uh, Again, for Casey, can you actually, this is in reference to something you said at the beginning of your talk, can you actually point to any archetypical understanding of Satan in which he actually cares for the oppressed? It seems mostly like projection, like something you want to be the case. Yeah, so if you've ever read, there's there's one text that we consider, at least the Satanic Temple considers to be religious canon, and that would be La Revolte des Anges, um, The Revolt of the Angels by Anatole France. Um, in that particular book, uh, you know, the uh, Satan figures are very much trying to bring about revolution uh, to benefit mankind. Also, um, Prometheus is often considered a Luciferian or Satanic figure, uh, the light bringer, the one who defied the higher powers to bring knowledge and understanding and literal light to mankind. Okay. Um, there are two questions that came in that are kind of similar, so I'm going to read them both so that both these people get their, uh, their moment in the sun here. Ah, sorry, you guys keep texting me. Okay. Um, what is the eschatology of, so the, how does it all end up, uh, of Satanism? That is, what does Satanists think the ultimate state of humanity will look like, and how are they working to bring about that vision? That's the first one. And the second one says, what is your view of what happens at death? Is the end of life the same for Hitler and Jesus? They really went there. Okay, so you got Hitler and Jesus, and then the first one is, how does this all end up for the state of humanity? What will it look like? And what are Satanists do to bring about that vision? But the you definitely start, but I'm curious if anyone wants to respond after that. Um, if you ask 100 Satanists that question, you'll get 100 different answers. Mm. And I'm not trying that as a dodge. Um, the end goal is to live the best life that I can live, whatever that means to me, and whatever that means to any individual Satanist. We don't have, I mean, I guess maybe some individual Satanists have some grand plan, um, but as a whole, you know, there's no grand plan for humanity. Um, as far as an afterlife goes, um, I personally assume that my afterlife will be exactly the same as my before life. Nobody wants to push back on that? There was nothing. Nothing before, nothing after. Okay. What about the Jesus Hitler? S- speak in the mic. What, what about the Jesus Hitler? Like, do, do they, I, I guess you would say that if there's nothing afterlife, then 
obviously all people end up in the same place, which is nothing. As, as though they were never born. The only well, justice is the justice that we create. Hmm. So I would I would say just to piggyback on that that part of what part of what my argument was is that I don't think that's a uh, I mean it's just my it's just my opinion I guess but I would argue that that is not a broad enough uh, conception of of what you know society actually is and how a civil society functions um, I mean I I do kind of love the idea of pursuing my own interests but I think the beautiful thing about Christianity is that we also pursue the interest of others, which isn't to say that a Satanist uh, can't choose to pursue the interest of others, as I'm sure that you do. Um, but why would they, ultimately? You know, and I think that Christianity compels us to consider, in fact, you know, really demands of us uh, to, co to consider the interest of others. And so I, I, I would think that that's a difference. You know, we don't have an arbitrary standard of justice. We don't have an arbitrary kind of reason for life. We, we are given that by God, and we and we live at the behest of His, you know, rule. But see, I find horror in thinking that the ultimate justice is because of a supernatural being's whims. Um, you know, I, I know it's a very common argument with atheism, but it's always been a compelling one for me that if you are ultimately compelled by a supernatural being to have a certain morality or to seek justice in a certain way then it feels, it feels meaningless. Um, you know, why do I pursue justice? Because I want to live in a world where that happens. Um, you know, I, I, just, I just don't find the notion of it coming from a supernatural being who I've never met and I never will meet, you know, from the sky that has never responded to me ever. Um, I just don't find that to be moving. But, but if it doesn't come from a supernatural being, where or from whom does it come? And if it doesn't come from a supernatural being, why would it have any authority at all? Like, so you talked about like whims, and, and I wrote like earlier, you talked about like arbitrary authority. But of course, I would say that God doesn't have arbitrary authority. He has rightful authority by his very nature. So I guess my question would be, what, what would make, say, your will any more... Uh, what would it, what would make it a an equally or more valid authority than say God Himself? Because I exist, and I know that that really boils down to something that's very simplistic. And I think that you know it might just be where we end up patting each other on the shoulder and saying thank you for you know not beating the crap out of me today. Um, <laughs> I won't do that. <laughs> but you know where does it come from? It comes from you know, there's a long line of philosophers, there's a long line of history, there's a long line of human experience, and it's not all based around the supernatural. Um, you know, I'm, I am not an expert in Christianity. You know, I was raised Christian, obviously, but, um, you know, I, I just, I, I sort of like shake in my boots before the idea that like that's that's all there is. It just seems to me so incredibly unfulfilling. It seems to me that it can't be anything but arbitrary. And the men who interpret it, why do they think that they're having the authority there? Why do they think that their interpretation is any better? Um, why is their interpretation more just, more satisfying, more compelling? Why should I listen to you over any other minister, any other tradition? Hmm. Why? 
me, why should you listen to me personally? You shouldn't. Um, you should. You should only listen to those who seek to speak the words of God. How do we know what God has said? Of course, this this all comes. This all ultimately comes back to authority. This all comes back down to, you know, has God spoken and what did He say? And of course, my core conviction is that He has revealed Himself to us in the Scriptures. That the Bible is the uh, authoritative Word of God. And so I know who God is, I know what he has said, and I know, you know, what his law is, what his gospel is. So, you know, if I say anything other than that, you know, you all have permission to, like, burn me at the stake or something. Because, okay. you know. Uh, so I'm, any pastor ought to only be a vessel for the word of God. But I saw Paul had the microphone. I was going to say, did you want to say something, Paul? Um. <laughs> Look, we're on a timetable. We're on a time crunch. I, I don't so, know. Um, I, I suspect, I mean... Um, I, I respect a lot of what you're. I mean, like the, the notion that there are sort of eldritch terrors out there are, are articulating their whims uh, that we just have to be subject to is is Lovecraftian horror. I mean, like that's that's a horror story. Um, the the though that would that would be different than what the Christian story is saying. I mean, the Christian story is not saying that it's an arbitrary deity, you know, pronouncing his his or her will or whatever. It's 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 the the creator who is a certain way who is love is pronouncing his will so that would be a qualitative distinction between the way you've described you know christianity and the way that we would ourselves proclaim it which is to say also that i respect your earlier position that like you yourself wouldn't want non-satanists to ascribe satanism to anyone else because you want to you want to let people self-identify right and so that but that requires that requires describing a given religion's claims within the within the confessional claims of how that religion would talk about itself, right? And so the way you described our own claims is not how we would describe our own claims. We, we describe our own claims as the uncreated creator who has no needs and therefore doesn't have whims, um, proclaiming his will, which is constitutive of what love is. And the opposite of that would be what I would describe as you know, of course, in my view, terrifying, which is that, that we decide what justice is, right? We, the justice is what we created to be. That's, I mean, again, within the way you meant it, it's probably something that's not, obviously, not terrifying, right? <laughs> to, me, to me, that sounds terrifying, right? Uh, to, be, to be subject to another person's, another person's whims of what they describe justice to be. I mean, in other words, it, again, it sounds like you've just collapsed the will of the creator to the will of creatures, none of which are the same, none of which are defined by love. Obviously, that's not how you would describe it. But when I hear the contrast, it, of course, it makes me... Terrified. Yes, but not... But yeah, so you, you see what I'm saying. Yeah, Casey, okay. do you want to say anything just in response to Paul, or otherwise I'm going to move us along? Just, But I didn't want him to get the last word if you wanted to respond to that. Okay. Um, how does one view Katy Perry claiming her success was due to selling her soul to Satan? <laughs> Look, we're tying in modern culture. You talked about the Kardashians. You know, she kissed a girl. She liked it. What are your thoughts? I don't know. Like, I, 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 I only have strong views of the Kardashians and Megan Fox. It, it, all, all others are... But, but the idea of selling yourself... What, are you asking who Katy Perry is? This is hilarious. She sings modern music. Um, e 
either way, maybe is just... Him? Is it a him? Also, how funny is it that we're talking about Satanism and then there's like choir coming up from under the ground every now and then? That's fun. Like, oh, okay. Um, but the idea of selling your soul and then attributing a success to that, do we have thoughts on that? Because I imagine you might all actually agree. It's, it's, it's a question that you only believe if you already assume the metaphysics of the question itself. So clearly you would say, well, no, soul's not a, soul's not a deal, and, and or at least the way that we would describe it, right? And Satan as a personal being to whom you sell your soul is not real, so it's a nonsensical question. We it's would say it's a great narrative silly, device. Say what? It's a great narrative device. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's is, is how you would describe it within the metaphysical understanding of the world. It's not how we would describe it, but also like... I mean, you don't see the language of sort of selling your soul in either New or Old Testament texts. It's, it's eventually a claim of, like, submitting yourself to the will of another. I mean, I don't know. It seems silly on, on any well, worldview. No shade I, to the person that wrote that question, but he can clearly not... I, I'm not saying that the person doesn't believe, that Katy Perry doesn't believe that she didn't do it, or yeah. even that it might not have been effective. It's simply to ask, I don't know what the question is asking. That's fine. Evan, I'm, I'm cognizant that Beth hasn't spoken, so do you have thoughts on this particular question? This question. Okay, I, I want to make it very, very fast, though. What I was trying, the, the point I was trying to make is that you don't have to sell your soul to the guy named Satan with a capital yeah. S, um, but you cannot succeed, probably, almost certainly, in the in the in the biz, if you don't essentially give up your Christian principles. And, and seek that worldly life to, to what? For what? Money and power and fame? Those are the quintessential satanic temptations in Luke 4. Is that in Luke 4, the temptation? So, so yes, do you sell your soul? Maybe it's only a metaphor, but you definitely do it. Okay, if you guys had taken bets on which of those two guys would have known who Karen Perry was, would it have been Evan? Okay, no, good job. Uh, we got a couple questions about what does satanic gatherings look like? Do you have services and meetings? And someone else said, what's up with nudity? <laughs> nudity. Okay, so... <laughs> um, every Tuesday, like, it's going on right now, actually. There's Temple Tuesday. Um, You're missing a- it to be here? Yeah, Aww. I am. Um, it's... Eat that mic, girl. Really? Yeah. It's, it's online. Um, they have something called the Satanic Estate, which is an online venue. And every Tuesday we have Temple Tuesday, which is led by a minister of Satan on whatever subject they see fit. And then they have, um, a panel of interlocutors who, you know, discuss whatever subject they're talking about. That's usually how it goes. Um, there's also one on the weekends, uh, on Saturday. And it's more geared towards like global audience, like in Europe. It's it's in the middle of the freaking night, so I never make it to that one. Um, there's an archives up if you if you Google. Let's see here, Satanic Ministry Service Archives. Okay, if you Google that, you'll find our recorded archives of all of our services, and I'm in a few of them. Um, yeah, so if you ever want to hear what a Satanic service sounds like, there you go. Uh, what about nudity? Some rituals involve nudity or, you know, sexual uh, acts. Um, of course, it's not mandatory. Uh, some people don't participate in anything like that. Some people are not interested in it. Some people are. Um, you know, of course, it never involves minors. Uh, that's really all I have to say about it. I, you know, I don't have any particular interest in, you know, myself, but I certainly don't condemn it. Yeah. Can I ask? Would you would you say that there's a imbalance in like 
I mean, we often talk about power dynamics within within rituals. I mean, is there is there an implied power imbalance that might pressure someone to do something they might not want to? I mean, within particularly with like a, a sexual ritual. Um. So, you know, I, I uh, my position in the Satanic Temple. I work for the Ordination Council, and the Ordination Council, they kind of help define the religious aspect of the religion, if that makes sense. Um, and one of the things that the Ordination Council worked very hard to develop was guidelines for any sort of sexually positive event or ritual. And there's an entire, you have to fill out a lot of paperwork if you're going to get nude. Um, <laughs> it is an, oh my gosh, it's so long. It's an entire checklist. Um, and it is very heavy on consent. Are people being told ahead of time? Like, if you answer no on any of them, immediately the ritual is trashed and you have to start again to apply. Um, I think that you can run into power imbalance situations, you know, in any kind of religious ritual. Um, and I know that it would Without be. Sexual. Yeah, it would be it would be incredibly like problematic to run into that into a sexual situation. Um, we're incredibly like conscious of that. Uh, it's not something that is ever taken for granted. And this might be really disappointing to people in here. There is such a lack of orgies in, in the satanic world. I know. I'm a little sad about it. Um, Expectations versus reality is like really, really a thing here. Um, I personally feel like maybe we should up our game. Well, you know how to get a laugh from our crowd, my gosh. I'm, I'm not sad about that, and I didn't have any expectation about sort of the level of orgy um, stuff that you had involved. It, it is odd, though, I mean, again, that, like, that there would be such a venue for the power imbalance, given all the talk about the justice is that which we create. It seems, it seems pretty arbitrary and seems to be opening up a venue for abuse. Uh, clearly, I mean, I, the Christian um, universe has, has lots of abuse in its past, and so I'm not, I'm not uh, you know, whitewashing any of that. Um, but it, it, it seems odd that you would create, not you personally, you know, but the, the, the universe would create its create a capacity for that given the implied power balance and power imbalance, particularly when it comes to sex, which is so, I mean, like, we, we justice is that which we create. I mean, like, it seems relatively unsafe, but um, I didn't come with this with any expectation of how many orgies, you know, people have or anything like that. But Thank you for that. That's great. Okay, I'm moving us on. This, somebody just sent in a comment that I think I'm just going to read it because I think this is a sentiment probably many of us in the room share, and I just thought I'd read it out loud because I thought it was lovely. The person said, Casey, I'm sorry you were hurt by an organization that claimed they were Team Jesus. I just thought that was worth saying. I think I agree with that. Uh, somebody else? Yeah, that deserves a clap. Yeah. That's good. I, Sarah, I, I did want to say uh, in, in the few minutes that where we started, but we just ran out of time, that that so many of the things that Casey described growing up, you know, we, we abhor too. So mm -hmm. just, I, I, we've had dinner, we've talked, so you know this already, but a concept of being slain in the spirit or having these arbitrary, like, you know, Holy Spirit experiences or, um, you know, the, this rapture, you know, the, the, uh, you know, some of the end times insanity that goes on. I mean, really Christians for their own sake, for the sake of their children should reject 
so much of the insanity that is in the evangelical church today. Uh, I, you know, I'm not going to psychoanalyze why someone might become, uh, you know, a Satanist as a result of something like that. Uh, people have their own reasons for all sorts of things. But I would reject a lot of what goes on in the evangelical and charismatic churches as well as extremely unhealthy and unbiblical um, and unhelpful. So I'm sorry for anyone who had to endure that, including you. And good news, some of those Methodists are going to, you know, go be with Jesus. That thing about the Methodists cracked me up. Like, they're, they're not excited. They're all going to be spat out of his mouth. Oh, we love Methodists. Um, okay. Is there a difference between the Church of Satan and the Satanic Temple? I know you have thoughts. Huge difference. It's, um, like... Just to clarify, when, the yeah, church... when, when Pastor Evan was was yeah, mentioning, okay. you know, things from the Satanic Bible and, and Anton LaVey, um, all I could think of was, yeah, well, they're they're kind of irrelevant. Um, we, you know, it, we're not really interested in social Darwinism or the works of Ayn Rand. Um, the Satanic Temple uh, adherents tend to believe in a lot more pro-social behaviors. Um, it's just not where we are. Oh, I did not and, have and my I, next one. And I tried up. to make it clear that I wasn't labeling, yeah. you know, I wasn't sticking those quotes on you. Those are just from Anton LaVey. So um, this person's asking something you, you hinted at when you said, we don't proselytize, especially to children. Um, they said, how do you feel about raising children as Satanists? Do you encourage parents to do so if they themselves are Satanists? No. Boom. When they're like, mommy, where are you going with that cloak? You're just like... Wait till you're um, older. I don't know. My child is very aware of the Satanic Temple and, and what I do in the Satanic Temple. Um, if he ever wanted to join after he turned 18, that would be up to him. But that would be the case with whatever religion that he chose. Um, we've talked a little bit about injustices tonight and things that are wrong with the evangelical church today. This person says, if Jesus instituted the church, why are there so many serious issues in the church, as Casey pointed out? She's looking at y'all like, y'all, this is your thing. <laughs> like, I really was hoping one of you would be like, because of Satan. You know? uh, if I'm honest, this is a question that like sometimes will keep me up at night. So, it, I mean, it, it makes sense. Um, I think there's, uh, it's really easy given our culture and our access to media and information to get overwhelmed with how many bad things there are in the church. Um, and this is something that I tell my students because they obviously have these same kinds of questions and problems, is that for every bad thing that we hear about in the news, there's probably hundreds of good things that are taking place in the church. Um, and that churches exist, especially in America on every corner, and they're all doing good and loving each other and having community and developing friendships and um, demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit, showing love and joy and kindness and all of these things, which is more, I think, simple, uh, following after the life that Jesus himself led, which was simple, eating with people, talking with people, loving people. Um, and that... I think, and this isn't to excuse all of the horrible things that the church is responsible for because that those things do exist, but um, it is more to try and take the spotlight off of those things and recognize that the church is so much bigger 
than just that. And even beyond that, if we get out of America, the church is so much bigger than just the things that we see and hear in America. And I'm having deja vu because I think I said something like this at last TOT. So. <laughs> Um, what's the difference between a Satanist and a humanist? Why choose such an antagonistic name for Christians? I don't quite understand the second part, but uh, between a Satanist and a humanist. Just all of the weird, creepy symbols? All the or? Satan stuff. What'd um, you say? All the Satan stuff. Yeah, well, that'd be one. Um, I understand the question. Um, and you know, I, I don't mean to be giving like a, a pithy response here, but Really, the end of it is because I am a Satanist. Um, if I wanted to be a humanist, I would join the secular humanists, or maybe the Rotary Club, or, or something along those lines. Um, I identify very strongly with the archetype of Satan. Um, I enjoy the aesthetic. Um, I enjoy the trappings of Satanism. And I think, like, I think if I have to leave here with you guys hearing something from me tonight, I would like to say I think that there is a very there's a very healthy place in a society for the accuser. I think that it's almost necessary for a healthy society to have that person on the margins and on the outside of things pointing and saying you're doing it wrong. Okay? Now, if that were the only thing that I did with my life, that would be a very hollow life. Um, you know, do I have my ideas of how you should be doing it? Sure, and I and I offer those ideas. But I think that the role of the Satanist is always to champion that kind of idea of the person on the outside, the person who says, you're doing it wrong. And I think that that is a good and healthy thing and that we need that. Yeah. So I, I can't help but be reminded of our Reformers podcast series. <laughs> Second time he's plugged it tonight, Segway, but who's counting? Uh, or plug. Um, and I actually agree a lot with Casey in, in, in the sense that the church needed men, in, in this case it was men, who came along and said to the church, you're doing it wrong. And what were they accused of? Basically being Satanists. Basically, you know, blasphemy. Um, I mean, they were uh, like, like when uh, Wycliffe wanted to translate the Bible into English. You know, it was like, you know, you can't do that. That's like throwing pearls before swine. What? Like putting the Bible in the vernacular language is, you know, you're calling the people swine. What is going on? This is crazy. So in that sense, there, there can be a time like in a need for reform. The question is always to what standard or by what standard? That is the ultimate question. And, and, you know, that's why it always for us as Christians has to come back to has God spoken and what did he say? So, you know, I would say to it, it, to the humanist, I would say, by what standard are you going to, what do you, what, go ahead, humanist, tell, tell me the standard to which you're going to appeal. What? Your your own mind? The majority will of people? Lots of, lots of majority wills of people who killed a whole bunch of people. I don't think that's sufficient. You have to have an ultimate standard. I don't think it's arbitrary because I think God has clearly spoken. Of course I believe that. I'm a Christian. I mean, the other thing to say is that, uh, yeah, the other thing to say here is that, I mean, your point about the, the person who's necessary to bring this point up. This this is what the role of the accuser was, not not Satan with a capital S, but the, the person who, I mean, it was a with both in the Old Testament text and in Second Temple Jewish text, there were um, divine beings who brought up the claims of justice up to the divine being, Yahweh, 
to say, like, look, God, act on behalf of these things. These things ought not have been this way, and these people did wrong, and please act on behalf. And so I guess my point would be, like, your implicit point there that, like, hey, things ought not be that way, I'm wondering who you're claiming that to. Um, whereas, like, the, the scriptural text would say, like, hey, things ought not be this way, and we are bringing these claims to a being who can do something about it. Whereas, this ought not be this way, who's, yeah, who's bringing that claim forward? To whom? And on what grounds? Because if everyone is just, if, if the justice is that which you create, then the, the basis of the accusation is superficial and it's whimsical. I mean, like, I don't know who... Who's, who's arbitrating it, and to whom are you making the claim? And so that, that would be part of the philosophical and of scriptural, but philosophical um, um, disagreement I have with just the value judgment of, a, of an accusation against that things ought not be this way. Like, says who, and to whom are you adjudicating this, right? I mean, Let me, I'm going to try to sneak in uh, one more question before our final question. We have five minutes left. This is not to open up this topic, because we have talked about this topic before, and you can come and ask us afterwards what we think about this topic, but just sort of a yes or no-ish kind of thing. To Casey, it says, if compassion toward others, yet also Ooh. believing in science, it's not a complete sentence, but you get the idea, how do you feel about same-sex relationships? A lot of people ask this question, which is why I'm sneaking it in at the end, even though it's huge. Um, so modern Satanism and the Satanic Temple, you know, specifically, uh, we don't just tolerate queer people. We are queer people. Hmm. Like, we, we celebrate queerness. Um, it's not even a question. There's no debate within the Satanic Temple or even really modern Satanism about same-sex relationships. We think the conversation is weird. Okay. I mean, it's consistent, so I'd expect that. I mean, I already knew the answer, but I just wanted to address all the people that asked it. Okay. Last question that came in for Casey, but I would love any of you that want to just give a 30-second or to a minute answer. Uh, but first, maybe Casey. Do you feel truly fulfilled as a Satanist? And then for the rest of you, who all claimed not to be a Satanist, do you feel fulfilled by your worldview? Do I find Satanism fulfilling? Yeah, I do. Um, it certainly fills a community role uh, in my life that, that was lacking. Um, you know, ultimately, am I a happy and fulfilled person? Probably not. But I care about trying, and I care about getting there. Yeah, I think it's interesting, because a lot of the things that you've been saying, I've been just thinking about the parallels between Christianity and what it is that you are claiming. Um, and I think that in itself of talking about community and fulfillment and satisfaction, um, those are all things that I have definitely found in the church, of finding a community that uh, cares about me and that I care for and that we work together to bring about justice and goodness in the world, that we try and speak out for the outsider, for the oppressed, um, all of these things that I see as valuable. I think the difference for me is that in my Christianity, I am not reliant on myself and those people around me, that we have something greater than us, that we're reliant on something that um, through the person of Jesus Christ and his example and his sacrifice and in his love, um, 
has shown us how to do those things and how to do them well and how to actually um, bring about the things that we desire. Uh, and so I would say, very similarly, I am still a work in progress uh, and desiring Christ to further fulfill me, but I have a hope and a promise that he has made to me that that is going to come to fruition, that me and all of the people that I serve with and love in my community will be resurrected and united in a world where there is true justice and true love and all of the things that I desire to happen aren't reliant on me doing them in this life, but are reliant on God fulfilling his promises to do them. That's good. Quick, because we got like less than a minute. Me? If you want to, or we can close it out. Yeah, yeah, so the answer is yes and no. Um, No, I'm not fulfilled uh, in this, or sorry, I'll I'll begin with the other part. Yes, to the degree that um, oftentimes when I, when I, since myself um, actually just pursuing my own desires, I tend to feel actually more lonely. Again, that's it's obviously subjective to a degree. But personally, I mean, that's, that's the case for me. When I, when I feel that I'm pursuing my own desires and not pursuing that of either, you know, the people around me or, the, or my Christian family or anything else, I realize that, like, uh, this is actually lonelifying me, right? Um, the other way is uh, that, the, you know, the question of fulfillment itself implies, like, implies like a need or a desire mm. to be fulfilled. It, it, it implies like the recognition that, yeah, I'm not, not who I could be or who I should be. Um, and, and so it actually implies a teleology about who I am. Uh, it implies like an intended goal or telos of who I'm created to be in this Christian story about the fact that my own created self is made to be something other than I am, namely Christ's own likeness. Um, compels me, yeah, to, to, to pursue the thing that can actually bring me to that telos, namely Christ's own self who, who brings me there. And so, um, and so, yeah, it comes with an implicit recognition that, yeah, my life makes me re- realize my own unfulfilledness and yet realize the need for a story that actually completes me outside of myself. Yeah. Okay. Well, you had a lot of time I, at the beginning, I so just yes or no? Like, I just feel like I should say yes. Okay. I, I, I don't think it's the right question, uh, yeah. but the answer is yes. Well, I just take the questions that y'all sent in, so thank you for the questions. And if you have more questions for these guys, I assume it's safe to say for a few minutes we can stick around if people want to pick your brain about something or um, be kind. But um, And if you have questions for us about what we've talked about tonight, I mean, all of the leadership team would love to talk to you about Jesus and what it might look like for that to be fulfilling or one day be fulfilling. Our next Theology on Tap is December 13th, and it's going to be, Is Life Supposed to Suck? So, happy holidays! What? December 13th. Is Life Supposed to Suck? Oh, okay. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, going into the holidays, it seems like a question that some people are asking anyway, but we will make it lively and fun for you. Um, I'm going to invite Meredith to, uh, one more quick second. Uh, to come up and pray for us. And then if you said you would volunteer afterwards to help tear some stuff down, come and find me afterwards. All right. This is another member of our leadership team, a Methodist. I hope you're not I was totally like, yes, Methodists. Uh, let's pray. Uh, God, we're grateful. We're grateful that you're here. We're grateful that we're here. We're grateful that you show up and you keep showing up. And we're grateful that even when we don't understand, you do. And so, God, whatever happens tonight, cover us in your grace. 
and bring us closer to your presence. In your name, amen. Thank you, guys.